where two friends discuss your absolute favorites and most hated indie films and genre cinema. I am your host, Lydia, and across from me is my co-host... Across the pond. Joseph, hello. Across the pond makes it sound like you're in another country. I know. Well, that's that's what the UK people always say, across the pond. I'm like, that's a pretty fucking big pond. Yeah, but I mean, it still heavily implies that you're, you know, in Europe. I am in another country. I'm in a better place. You're 20 minutes away from me in like what is basically <laughs> in a oh glorified okay. white suburb. Okay, you're not going to believe this. So when I went to dinner like two nights ago or whatever, and I was telling, telling you about Well, when we, that's why I had to reschedule. Yeah, it was last night. We had to reschedule oh, our, right. our podcast day. I didn't know where we were going. Okay. We ended up going to Beer Town. In Kitchener-Waterloo. Shut up. Why? You have one there. I don't know. Michelle was just like, we like this one better. I'm like, what? It's the same menu. No, no, no. No, that wasn't it. It was too many Guelph students find the beer store one in Guelph popular. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But actually, the thing was they wanted to go to a cannabis store, and they liked the vibe of the one in the uptown Waterloo. Oh, is it different strokes? I don't know what it's called, but it's a pretty cool vibe. Is it um like a red brick building? No. Or Reddish could be, brick, but like a brown brick? It's right across from Beer I think it's different strokes. I think it's different strokes. That's funny. Now everyone knows where we live. <laughs> well, well, the, you know, it's all edited. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? The amount of times we've said, oh, I'll just edit it out. And then we <laughs> leave in like everybody's name. All the bullshit we talk. This is why I can't tell, like, people that I have this podcast. I think it's cool to have people's names. Serious mode. (laughs) Okay. This is not a very serious podcast. I really don't think it's a big deal. (laughs) No, I need, but I need to breathe. I need to find Zen, find Nirvana. Okay, well, if we had any consistent listeners, we just lost them by how pretentious you just sounded. Did you see the new Batman trailer? Um, so, like... With Robert Pattinson. No. I meant to. I did mean to. I have been meaning to ever since it came out, and every time I see an article about it on my Facebook, which is literally all the goddamn time, and I keep seeing the, like, still images of him with, like, I'm not okay era MCR makeup on, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is for me. (laughs) So, think of him without, just with that makeup on. And I've already seen porn of it. Mm, I believe that. <gasps> also, Colin Farrell playing Penguin. I haven't. He wasn't in the trailer, or at least the one I I've saw. I've seen the still images of him, and he leaned into the role. Okay. There is a particular character actor that he looks almost identical to, and I can't think of the name of them. And I can picture his face i can picture his fucking voice and i can't think of a single thing that he's in but he looks identical 
And I don't know why they didn't just get this guy. It probably would have been a lot cheaper than Colin Farrell. Yeah, he, he doesn't. He's not. Hold on, I gotta lift a picture because he's 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 looking a certain lift way. It. It's like I'm so confused by this choice. Oh, this is exa- this is the actor that he looks like. Hold on, I gotta Richard Kind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just That's hire funny. Richard Kind. <laughs> like. It would have been way cheaper. He's just a character. Not that there's anything wrong with being a character actor. Some of the best actors are character actors. But it would have been way cheaper than Colin Farrell. So we'll eventually get to Heathers. But we should pre-warn you, this is going to be a long segment of random shit before we get to that. But it was a cool movie. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Too long, didn't read. Just in case you don't want to listen to the whole podcast episode. Heather's great movie. No, I just, I, I thought, you know, people should be forewarned. There's going to be a lot of tangents before we get there. I feel like you're a little <laughs> too worried about what people are expecting coming into this podcast. And it's like, by the time this comes out, we're going to be like 15 episodes deep. I think people are going to know what to expect. Like nobody's That's... starting on episode 16. Well, we'll do this like every, every few so that we'll get some of them. Some of them will understand. If this happens to be your first episode because you're a fucking <laughs> heathen and you start in the middle of a podcast like list, be warned that know, we I, talk I, about things that, before we talk about the movie. Okay, but that is actually true. People, some people, I mean, go back to the beginning. But when I start a podcast, I just listen to one of the newer episodes and then listen to a few more random ones before starting at the beginning. I mean, I guess, but when the, if there's only like 15 episodes in the episode list, are you really just going to start at episode 15? Like, that's weird. That's true. Have you been watching anything? No, I've watched nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, no. So, do you have anything you'd like to start yeah. us off with? Sorry. I'm dying of thirst. Yes. So, I have watched a few things. I have my notes here. Oh, good. Let me get in here. I, I have some gonna... chicken scratch that I pretend are notes. Oh, yeah. Eat your heart out on a fucking notebook. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Very different than the Heather's. Mine is the Heather's notebook. Yeah. uh, I'm a much better writer than you. It's fine. Uh, Okay. So I I watched um, season two of Dirty John, the Betty Broderick story. Yes. My my mom's watching that. (laughs) This is what the podcast needs to know about. My mother's viewing taste. (laughs) I mean, your mom and I both have excellent taste. Dirty Betty. Um, anyway, so Dirty John, for those of you who don't know, um, it is a show on Netflix, at least in Canada. I'm not sure what it's on in the States, but it is an anthology series where each season is based on a different true crime story. And that crime hinges, yeah, the crime hinges on some kind of a romantic relationship. Uh, so season one is based on essentially an LA Times uh, podcast that has the same name. It's Dirty John. And it's about John Meehan, um, who's a man who pretended to be or impersonated a doctor to try and defraud this woman that he was in a relationship with and had done the same thing in the past. Uh, Season two centers around Dan and Betty Broderick. So this, the whole story takes place in the eighties, which is an absolutely phenomenal aesthetic i just gotta throw (laughs) that out there but dan and betty broderick were a married couple 
Um, and, and the whole story is basically taking you through their marriage from beginning to end. So how they met, how they first got together, the beginnings of their marriage, having children, and then as their marriage started to dissolve or fall apart, um, his affairs, and then their divorce. Their divorce was one of the most publicized and violent divorces that had been seen at that point in time. And then the whole story, the whole crime culminates in Betty murdering her husband and his new wife, who was originally his secretary and mistress at the beginning of their divorce proceedings. So, yeah, that's that's basically season two in a nutshell. Spoilers. It's a pretty well publicized and documented true crime. Like, Mm -hmm. Like it happened in real life. So I feel like I'm not really spoiling anything. But yeah, so it stars Amanda Peet, who, Amanda Peet, you would recognize, but like, I feel like she hasn't been in anything too major in the last like five, 10 years. She was in The Whole Nine Yards, which is that movie that had Bruce Willis and Matthew Perry. And then she was in a, a Duplass Brothers TV show called Togetherness. So that was like her big thing that she had been in recently. And then co star as Dan Broderick. Man of the Hour, Christian Slater, from tonight's movie, Heathers. Also, I think recently probably best known for his role in Mr. Robot. Phenomenal show with Rami Malek. That Mm -hmm. kind of revitalized his career. But he was also in True Romance uh, from 93, Heathers from 89. My favorite of his entire career, Pump Up the Volume, which is from 1990 and about a pirate radio station. Excellent. Oh. Truly tremendous teen film. Very post-John Hughes era teen movie. Absolutely adore. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It's really good. If you're a true crime kind of junkie, or you've listened to the, like the actual Dirty John podcast, you'd probably really enjoy it. Um, especially the first season, obviously. Uh, the acting is really good. The guy, and I can't think of his name, but the guy who plays... Christian Slater's character, Dan Broderick, when he's young, is literally Christian Slater at the beginnings of his career. Like, he is doing Christian Slater doing Jack Nicholson in Heathers. And it is fucking tremendous. The layers of impersonation. <laughs> but yeah, overall, it's, it's, it's a really good story. And I think it does a really good job of not making her sympathetic, Betty, because she did murder two people. But Mm -hmm. also not painting Dan like this angel, you know, like they were very complicated people. They had an abusive marriage for a long time on both sides. She would punish him, be cold to him, overspend intentionally. But he was also manipulative, gaslighting and financially abusive. So like they were both incredibly problematic and complex characters and their relationship was damaging to their children and to each other. So by the time the divorce happened and the way that the divorce happened, Betty was at a point where she just completely broke from reality. The murder was a terrible thing that never should have happened. And she is rightfully serving a prison sentence. But you can see how they were both cruel people in general. And they were Mm -hmm. both victims in general. So it's interesting. There's a really interesting dichotomy and relationship between the two of them. The music is fire, too. Nice. Yeah. Have you seen any of The Umbrella Academy? 
Yeah, I talked about that the last time we recorded. You never listened to me. Um, well, it's because it, a lot of people have been talking to me about it recently, and so I so I caught up in season one and just watched season two. So that's one of the big things I've watched over the last thing. So I just, I, yeah, it's hard for me to remember who who watched what. But so have you caught up with season two? Yeah, I finished it. That's why I talked about it the last time we recorded. Okay. <laughs> and I'm a binger. You know you I'm must a binger. must finish it real fast. I'm a binger. And there was only, what, like eight episodes? <laughs> it's ten. That's nothing. <laughs> That's like, what, four movies? You can do that in a weekend. But yeah, I, when I first wrote it down and like finished it, I feel like I had a bunch to say, but honestly, now that it's been like, it's been over a week since I finished it and I'm just like, you know, it's a fun show, but I just like, season two people were saying, or like some people I'd heard like, were like, oh, it really changes the game. I, it feels to me very similar to season one. So I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's another season one. I think what I liked about season two was that you got to see a little bit more character growth from the other family members. It wasn't so centralized and focused on like Vanya and five and then Luther. You got to see more Mm -hmm. about Allison and who she is and what drives her. You got to see more about Klaus. You got to see more about Diego and more understanding into each of their abilities and their personalities. So it felt a lot more well-rounded and you got a lot more Mm -hmm. depth there, which I enjoyed. I do think that, like, it's since it's only 10 episodes, they do, they pack a lot of plot movement in those 10 episodes. And I think there are just certain things that they either shouldn't have included or they should have made the season longer if they were going to include them. Because I don't think you got enough out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also just, I do think you find out more about the characters, but I found the plots like the overall season plot is pretty much identical to season one's yeah it is um i agree and the and so i don't know it just felt like their father is still a huge presence so it's just like i don't know yeah the soundtrack is fire though amazing oh, both season one always. and season two it's so good so it's so good so that is definitely a highlight of the show and it's you know it's very very bingeable very watchable yeah i think of superhero television shows, I think it's one of my my preferred because it is mm. very self-effacing. Um, it, it doesn't take itself that seriously. It has good humor. It's got a great soundtrack. And the characters are interesting enough that even when the plot's a little wishy-washy, it doesn't bother me. Um, because I, I really like Klaus. I really like Diego. You know what I mean? Yes. But that is, the show is very much following the characters. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, is it perfect? Absolutely not. Like, I, I feel like if they were going to put in that whole civil rights thing with Allison, they should have played that out more because it felt really like throwaway and superfluous in a time when a civil rights movement probably shouldn't be portrayed as throwaway. So there's that. I loved the cliff cliffhanger that they left it on. I think that's really cool i don't want to give it away for people who haven't Mm -hmm. watched it but i thought the cliffhanger was really really dope the thing that you discover about their dad in the series i think it's like episode six or something i don't know what to make of that because that also Mm -hmm. felt like a throwaway like why bring that i'm assuming you're going to like delve more into it in season three but like why bring it up for like half a second and then never touch it again for the rest like it's weird you know what i mean it's and I but I felt the same with even like Klaus's storyline. Um, inter- like there's a lot of gay stuff introduced in season two, so that's definitely like that the, was introduced in the season amount one. of like. Sorry, he goes back in time in season one. Klaus, yeah, 
He gets stuck in the past in season one, goes to the Vietnam War, and fights as a soldier, meets another soldier. They ha- they discover I, they're I guess gay. I that was the beginning of season two. Because I watched boyfriends. them all, all at the same time. Yeah, no, so. that was season one. That was introduced in season one. During season two, because they're stuck in the past, in the 50s, mm-hmm. he meets him before he goes to the war. That's right, yeah. But yeah, that was season one. That's why he's all, like, more messed up and, like, he had, like... In season one, there's the whole addiction plot line where he finally sobers up by the end, and it's because he went to Vietnam that that finally happens. Yeah, but he has a gay... And and even, like, in season one, yes, like, he does do a gay thing, but in season two, you know, he's talking, like, there's a whole rights about, about gay people thing going on, and then Vanya's doing a whole gay thing, too. And so there's just a lot more of these sort of modern storylines going on in season two. But even I, I found Klaus's whole being a leader of a cult thing just too much. Like, it just felt so pointless. Well, and that's what I mean. Those throwaway plot lines where I'm like, either yeah. you should have, like, picked one of those subplots or you should have extended the season to delve more into them. Because you get, like, one real episode about the civil rights movement thing with Allison. You get one real episode with the cult with Klaus. You get one real episode with the, like, underground fighting ring with Luther. And it's like, I don't know... Luther's with a gangster for some reason that we're not going to talk about. Allison is married after being stuck in time for a year and is now the leader of a civil rights movement. And we're not really going to talk about that. And Klaus is a cult leader and we're going to show like one montage scene and that's about it. You know, it's like do more with it or don't do it. Yeah. It's reminding me just because I don't want to talk about Umbrella Academy that much. I'm just going to skip to one of my smaller ones. I just finished. I read two graphic novels. Well, a graphic novel series and a graphic novel uh, over the last two weeks. And so that's been really fun. Never really read graphic novels before, but a friend of mine gave me a whole stack of them. She's like, you'll like this. You read like Watchmen. Uh, Yes, I like Watchmen, but um, that was just, you know, it pretentiously got voted very high. But so did this, this one that I'm about to mention, Fun Home by Alison Bechdel who's famous for the Bechdel test. She's famous for other stuff too, but that's part of what her name's used for. So she's a lesbian and it's her autobiography. And her father was secretly gay and her mother knew about it, but just tried to like keep the family together. And it is, this graph, it's so impeccable. The rawness with which she tells her story of her youth without it feeling brutal in any way. There's a type of, I don't know, like the rawness of a wound kind of feeling where she sort of says, you know, I didn't grieve when my father died, but she says it. And then it shows how much it pained her that she didn't grieve. And, and there's just a way in which these moments kept happening throughout. And the, there's a very trains passing in the night or uh, idea because she was coming out as gay right when her father died, um, just by her father died of an accident. Um, but her father had been doing these, affairs with men in their relationship for a long time and she had just found out about this a few months um, before and then came out or or like during her coming out and so it was this amazing like they just never quite got that moment to reconcile with each other Mm. about their both dealing with their being gay but the book itself very very powerful I really really enjoyed it and I I'm not sure the fact that it's a graphic novel makes it like better but certainly it felt just as strong, if not stronger, than a, l- a lot of novels that I read. 
So it really like made me think of graphic novels in a different way. Yeah, so that one I really enjoyed and also had a gay storyline. And actually the other graphic novel series I read too also has gay stuff going on. So a lot of gay stuff this this time around. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was just it's just a random kick I'm on. But that's cool. It's it's fun when you find, you know, fall down a rabbit hole and you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. keep going with this thing. Absolutely. So my next thing is a lot less profound and I'm feeling kind of embarrassed <laughs> about it now. Uh, <laughs> oh my god do you have a do you have a different one you want to switch it up a bit no i no, because i watched a lot of trash okay okay it's having a bad like, week. uh trash double trash Ooh, fiery trash i have a couple others i want to mention but like they're all kind of trash <laughs> i was having a bad week okay i needed to watch things no, for comfort okay. um yeah so i watched a new show a new netflix original called teenage bounty hunters which okay yes i saw a tiny bit of it, but... Terrible sounding ahead. name, and immediately made me not want to watch it. So then you immediately binged it. No, I didn't, actually. I turned on Netflix the one day, and it auto-played the trailer, like Netflix does, when it's something new, mm-hmm. and I fucking hate that Netflix does this. And this is exactly why. It's to grab your attention, so you're like, oh, watch this stupid new thing that Netflix made. But it looked kind of funny, so I turned it on. It's basically about 16-year-old twin sisters who get together with like a veteran bounty hunter and start learning the bounty hunting business basically oh and it's like realistic no it's a comedy it's like it's it's got no but i mean sorry it's not it's not about vamp i thought it would be like vampires no no they're they're actually hunting like like bail bail jumpers yeah yeah no yeah it has similar-ish vibes to like a Buffy. I would. Say it's nowhere near as mm-hmm. good as Buffy, but it has that kind Obviously. of a vibe where it's like that sort of interesting coming-of-age story peppered with bounty hunting instead of demon hunting. I was surprised by how funny it was. Like it, it truly is very mm-hmm. like entertaining. It's cute. It's it's not too heavy. It's exactly the kind of light funny sort of thing you would expect something named teenage bounty hunt bounty hunters to be the one thing i will say is it does have a pretty like southern christian tint like tilt to it oh okay yeah so they're in the set they're in georgia and they're both christian girls who go to a christian private high school in like a wealthy Mm -hmm. area of georgia so, like, the whole getting into bounty hunting thing, they have to be really, like, secretive about it because, obviously, it would be pretty taboo and also illegal because they can't actually get a bounty hunting license. But a lot of it is to do with, like, self-discovery, the different paths that siblings can go on. So, like, you can love mm. your sibling, want to be friends with your sibling, but be a completely different person underneath in them. And at some points, you have to sort of diverge and explore yourself. Um, and the difficulties in that dynamic, especially with twins being so close. Um, so it's interesting in that regard. It's pretty light and fluffy. Relative unknowns as the sisters, like, I don't, they're not really in much. The one girl, Maddie Phillips, who plays Sterling, was in Supernatural for a couple years. And then the okay. other girl has really only been in the show The Gifted, and that was it. Um, but it does have Kadeem Hardson, Hardison. Uh, he plays Bowser the Bounty Hunter, but he is actually, like, a pretty well-known character actor, and he was in a lot of, like, the 80s, 90s, in-the-ghetto-style comedies that came out. Um, so he was in School Days with Spike Lee, He was in, uh, which was directed and written by Spike Lee. 
And he was in I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, which which came out in 88. It's by Keenan Ivory Waynes. Super, super funny parody of like those de- old like 70s detective movies. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of similar to a Beverly Hills Cop, but a little bit more over the top and outrageous. And then he was recently in the new... You remember that show Psych? Yes. That's funny. They had a movie, and then they had a second movie. In 2020, Psych 2 came out, and mm. he was um, he was like one of the secondary characters in that movie. Yeah, that's funny. My roommate loved Psych. Oh my god. I couldn't get into it. No, I never, I never, I never got, got into, into it. it. It was I wacky. I found it annoying. I found it really annoying. Mm-hmm. But people love it, and I'm sure people would would recognize from him from that. But um, really, he is a really tremendous character actor. He's been in he's been in just like notable things since the 70s. Uh, but yeah, like if you're looking for something like pretty blasé, light entertainment, it's it's fun. Yeah, I'll finish off my uh, graphic novel kick here. Okay, and who knows if I'll find more. Uh, I was actually at uh, the uh, hobby store in, in uh, city names. Ah, scary. In Guelph. I've already said them like eight times at yeah. this point. Um, but yeah, I was like, oh, I want to find more graphic novels. But I don't know how to, I don't know how to look th- at them yet. Like, I don't know how to find stuff. So I, uh, the series that my friend bequeathed upon me is called The Wicked and the Divine. And the premise is that every 90 years, 12 gods come back to Earth for two years. And they're incarnated in people who are living at that time. So 12 people are found, and they're found to be the the incarnations of God, but they don't know it until... People didn't know how it happens, but you find out in this new iteration that a 13th God, a God of necessity, comes down and she finds them and, and gives them their, like, powers. Well, not gives them, but unlocks their powers. And they, they then once it's unlocked, they, they recognize themselves as that god. And they, they don't recognize their old self as much, even though they still have all their memories and whatnot. So it's really cool. They pick really interesting gods from all sorts of pantheons to do it. And each 90 years is uh, not necessarily the same gods. So it can be some gods aren't revived every every 90 years. Some Some gods switch out. But the vibe is so modern and so just cool like the main character is a black woman who who is obsessed with the concerts that gods put on to that they, so once they've been reincarnated they put on these concerts to get worshipers and to get people alive because they have this power to like entrance people or make people feel good and each one of them does it in a different way um so for example you, you meet dionysus and he has this 24 7 like the magicians uh 24 7 dance club that he always does I mean, it makes sense because it's Dionysus, yeah. Yeah. the god of food, wine, and sex. Yeah. Whereas, like, um, Ball, who is like a god of lightning, in this, he uh, he just puts on like a big rock show and just like gets people hype. So she's obsessed. She she checks out each one. The underground gods who are like you know Lucifer and uh, Baphomet. And they do, like, you know, the underground concerts and stuff like that. And you have to know the secret person, the secret ticket to get into. Whereas other ones have these huge open-air concerts that they bring everyone in for. And it's she's just super excited about this. But then you start finding out that it's a lot darker than it seems. Like, why the gods only live for two years and what, how they're selected and what they feel about themselves. They're, they're so upset about their own mortality. Even though they know they'll be revived, they're like, well, this this person that I was... And I'm only like, you know, this person I was 
is only 18 years old or 20 years old or whatever. And now I'm just going to die in two years. And so they have yeah. these, these inner conflicts and the characterization is just amazing. And the dynamics between all the characters, the artwork looks great. Like it's just, it's incredible. The thing about graphic novels though, right? If you, so each one of these book, uh, these bind ups is about 20, $25 Canadian at least. And you know, there's like eight of them. So if you want yeah. this whole series, it only took me about a, a week to read, about two hours a day. So maybe about 14 hours of reading or less. And yeah, and and it's like so expensive. So definitely the like bringing around a circuit or getting the stuff from the library is like a way to do it. But this series feels so fresh, so modern. It's very hard to, to not spoil anything, but there's lots of gay stuff, lots of identity. Like it's all about all these different people seeking the identities of their old lives with all this mythology mm-hmm. being put in it too. And, you know, just unbelievably diverse cast, unbelievably diverse interests of different, what what's called like a social issues that are being talked about in it and just such cool visuals. So yeah, that was a really good time. Just, re- I really look forward to reading it each night. I was reading it like around 11 o'clock each night. I'd just pick it up and read a few more. And it's just because I read as my day job right now, It's a, it was like a really nice way to still read something, but not feel like bogged down by like another thick yeah. book. Yeah. Awesome. Wicked and Divine. Hmm. It sounds really cool. Make a good TV show too. Oh yeah, for sure. Very American Gods. But like more fun. Yeah. Yeah. The aesthetic of American Gods was really off-putting to me. I don't know why. Yeah, I think Wicked and Divine would be make for a more fun show. I think American Gods takes itself a little too seriously. Yeah, I agree. I think Neil Gaiman takes himself a little too seriously. Uh, sure. <laughs> okay, I'm going to recommend a podcast. Ooh, we're all we're yeah. going all over the place today. I know, um, but I have recently started listening to a new podcast called um, QAnon Anonymous. Oh yes, yeah. So I, I recommend this to you. Yeah, so it's basically, obviously, the whole QAnon conspiracy theory has taken over all of our collective minds, because it's all over the internet right now, and we probably all know at least one person who believes some of it. No. I, yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> cut those people out of your lives. Well, you, you don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> it kills me inside. It kills me inside. Anyway, so... This has taken over the collective conscious uh, consciousness. So anyway, I decided I wanted to learn more about it because I actually don't know a ton about QAnon. True, me too. All I really, yeah, all I really know about QAnon is like the buzzwords about it, the ridiculous facets of the conspiracy theory. But I really don't have an understanding of how it got started, where it started, what Q is, why people are being drawn into it. Um, so I found this podcast called QAnon Anonymous, and it's hosted by three guys. Hold on. I'm going to pull up their names just so I can credit this yeah, yeah. accurately. So the hosts are Jake, Julian, and Travis. And essentially, they're just telling you everything about the most like popular or common conspiracies that are brought up online, on Twitter, on Reddit, on um, 4chan, wherever. Um, explaining them and then critically pulling them apart. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously, like it is left of center primarily. Oh, for sure. Like they are very critical about QAnon. So like 
if you were a QAnon person, you're not going to like this podcast. <laughs> but if you're just genuinely like curious about why your like uncle is super into the fact that Hillary Clinton is drinking children's blood to stay young, maybe listen to QAnon Anonymous and you'll learn where that started. But yeah, it's entertaining and it's weird. They have really interesting guest speakers who come on and talk about like different things that they have expertise in around QAnon or investigative journalism or other types of conspiracy theories that QAnon has sort of pulled from. I'm I'm really enjoying it so far. It's 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 entertaining to me in a similar way that like last week tonight is. Mm-hmm. Um, as somebody who is more liberal, who is more leftist. I greatly enjoyed the last week tonight with John Oliver um, because it is, he is telling you a genuine news story, but he peppers in satire and entertainment to it. And I would say this podcast does a similar thing. It's very critical. It's very like investigative journalism, but it, it is a little bit more fun, conversational, entertaining. So far I've been finding it really interesting because like, Obviously, I know what InfoWars is, I know what Breitbart Mm -hmm. is, but I don't know a lot about it because by the time I really learned what InfoWars was, InfoWars didn't really have a standard, like, platform anymore. They had been kicked off Twitter at that point. They weren't really on YouTube anymore. So I didn't really understand how intense and, I don't, militia-like these, like, right-wing news outlets had become. So it's interesting to learn about that stuff, too, because there really isn't, like, an equivalent on the left. And many people on the right, I'm sure, would disagree with me and say that the left is the crazy wackadoos and we're all, like, super Mm militia-like and we're all trying to brainwash people. I'm sure people would say that 90% of the media they consume is super leftist and we're just trying to, like, brainwash everybody. But looking at something like InfoWars or Breitbart or 8chan... There's just nothing that aggressive on the left. There's nothing that biased and that angry and that, like, violent Mm. on our side of the equation that is, like, considered standard media. Mm. Like, I know InfoWars obviously is not – we recognize it as something that is so far right you could never consider it standard media. But for a lot of people, that is considered standardized media. For a lot of people – Tucker Carlson is considered a good news source and Ben Shapiro is considered a good like social critic like and and those kinds of things don't exist on our side of the equation you know like we have Mm. things like last week tonight but they always pepper in humor and satire there's always sort of something uplifting and fun about them we don't have anything that stark and angry and and insanely biased so I've I've been enjoying those episodes. I just listened to one on on Infowars, um, and Breitbart and like Rush Limbaugh, Ben Shapiro, all that stuff. And it's it's been interesting because they bring in journalists who have directly butted heads with these media outlets, these right wing media outlets. So investigative journalists, journalists from like left of center publishing houses, stuff like that. And it's it's interesting seeing what they have to say about people who are for all intents and purposes, their colleagues and like why they feel there is such an insane difference in how they, how they deal with the general public. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting thing to look at. Highly recommend. I thought I'd just finish up with one more. Do I have? No. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, this is a rewatch for me, but I'm rewatching with my family, and it's been an interesting time. 
uh, a show called My Brilliant Friend. So it's an Italian show that's on, uh, I think it might be HBO, but it's on um, uh, For Us Crave. So My Brilliant Friend is based on the Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante, which is a pseudonym, for, and no one knows who actually wrote the books, although there's been investigations. Um, but it's very, very popular books. In, they're well-stocked in uh, bookstores. Interesting. So the show is made in Italy, all Italian actors, and it's about two girls in a 1950s suburb of poor people around the town or the city of Naples. Um, so they, they, they come from a poor neighborhood, you could say, and they're these like sort of stacked apartment buildings and everyone lives in these sort of cramped spaces. And it's uh, in, there's two stores, basically. There is a bar and a grocery store. And uh, those are the basically the two mafia families that sort of run the area. And so that's the, it begins with them as children. And one of them, Leela, is extremely smart. And she shows that she already can spell in uh, like um, words on a chalkboard at, at in grade one before anyone even learned it. Right? She's just she's just way ahead of the game. But you quickly learn that her family's never going to let her pursue her brilliancy. They're too poor, and they're like, why would we let you continue on with your schooling when your brothers would never get that kind of thing? But her friend, who is also quite smart and quite a hard worker, she's the main character, Linu, or Elena, but she always goes by the nickname Linu in the show. She isn't as smart, but she tries to keep up with Leela, and in trying to keep up, tends to do well, and her family decides in the end to be supportive and try to help her out with this. And so it's about these two girls with this amazing bond of friendship dealing with the utter violence and randomness of life around all these men in mafia, in poor circumstances, in desperate circumstances, and the expectation to just get married off, to not be educated, and the name-calling and the slut-shaming that goes around where... They're expected to try to navigate this world in which all these men are just looking to have sex with them. And yet, if you did, you would be, your reputation would be shot. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm watching it with my my brother and he says, it's like, you know, and this is true of me, but it's like that I really like a lot of shows that star women that I like tend to be about tortured women and the ways in which um, their lives are very difficult. not great. But I, but I do find it. True to form, but maybe not great. (laughs) Fascinating to see how these women are, are trying to overcome these circumstances, but can't. But it reminds me, you know, it's like I, one of my favorite books, and I mentioned this a long, long time ago, not in this podcast, but in other places to you, uh, A Little Life is, a, is about a gay man and his, the, the impossibility of his life and his own internal difficulties. That's what that's about? Yeah. I never, I don't remember you ever telling me what it was actually about. I don't, oh like, God. I genuinely do not remember, which is terrible, because I'm pretty sure you gave me a copy of the book. And yeah, you did. It's sitting on my bookshelf. It could it could have been, but I don't remember ever buying it for anyone. I never bought it mm. for myself, so I don't know where, either I stole <laughs> a book from someone, or you, get, you gave it to me for, like, Christmas I think you might have said Sarah gave it to you, but I don't know. No. Who knows? The mystery. No. I love yeah. Sarah. There's no yeah, way she about, gave that book. Yeah. It, it's a trick, because the book is... If you say what the actual problem is, it's it's four guys in New York and their lives, but really it's about one of them and how his life is really miserable because he uh, has trauma in his past and he can't escape it. And so it's his life constantly falling into trap, like mental traps 
of being un- unable to love himself. Okay. The, the characters in My Brilliant Thunder are very different. They, their circumstances is what trap them, that they cannot find a way out, but they're great fire inside and want to accomplish things, especially Leela. And she wants to, and she's so defiant and powerful, but it's just this ridiculousness of how her circumstances never allow her a, a, an inch of freedom. Um, so even though she's so brilliant and mm-hmm. so able to navigate both social spaces and intelligence spaces, the the reality is just too brutal. But beautifully shot, just right. beautiful looking. The sets look so majestic and Italian. It is gloomy. Because that's sort of the point, but it still looks so rich in Italian. That 1950s, 60s, because it shows them growing up. Look is just, ugh. I love the vibe so much. Just to show that really, it's hard to watch because it's not very fun or fast paced, but it is movie like in its um, quality and, and the attention to detail they put in. And just, you just great characters. Love. You just love Italy, I feel like. I do, I do. It's like massively romanticized that it's romant. It's very romantic to me, even when it's sad and brutal. I think, I've, I've discussed it before, but I think in my mind, you know, I, I have a French personality where I'm like depressed, blah, 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 like... They, well, God, I hope we have no French listeners. No, but... I, well, I mean... The, Shitting on their country. The vibe of a lot of French stuff is this like Parisian malaise. But I think I'm jealous of the Italian outlook, which I take to be also artistic and pretentious and whatnot, but with so much more passion. There's such a vibe of a grand passion always in, in um, Italian works that at least I know of. And I love that because it's something that I don't feel I have as much in my life. And so it, it's something that I idolize and romanticize, as you say. But yeah. You should go to Italy, though. It is a really beautiful country. <laughs> like, it is tremendous. I've been there and it's it's really phenomenal. But that is it for me. Do we have time for me to do one more? I don't have much to say about it. It'll be quick. Oh, with editing? We have time for anything. Fair. So I watched Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. In the, what is it? Birds of Prey in the Fantabulous Emancipation of Harley Quinn. Yes. Of one the, one Harley Quinn, maybe? Oh, yeah, maybe. The mouthful of a title that they changed halfway into the release to just be Harley Quinn, colon, Birds of Prey, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton to say about it. I really, I did enjoy it as far as, like, comic book movies go. I thought it was really entertaining. There were aspects of it that felt like better portrayals of female characters Mm -hmm. in a comic book movie than you had seen in many others. And the cast is fucking stacked. Yeah. Like, it is a tremendous cast. I really liked it, to be honest. I really, really liked it. Yeah. I I think it is a comic book movie. But yes. I liked it. I'm not a huge comic book movie person. Mm. It was a little ridiculous, but it didn't feel any more ridiculous than something like a Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, but I felt like and it, it was significantly in a fun better way. than Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, and it was significantly better than Suicide oh, yeah. Squad. But yeah, so it's got R- Margot Robbie in it. Obviously, Once Upon a Time, Bombshell, Wolf of Wall Street, great actor. Suicide Squad. Notwithstanding, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I am genuinely always happy to see, she played Huntress, and I just greatly mm. enjoy her in everything I see her in. She was in twelve or ten Cloverfield Lane, which I didn't like the ending of, but up until the like last thirty minutes, is a very very entertaining movie that takes place in a very small set. It's really creepy. Mm-hmm. Excellent performance from John Goodman. Um, she's also in. Death Proof, which is one of the Grindhouse mm-hmm. movies by Quentin Tarantino. Probably too many shots of Zoe Bell's feet in that movie, but still moderately enjoyable. And then Rosie Perez, 
excellent character actor. She's been in tons of stuff. Um, White Men Can't Jump with Woody Harrelson. Really fun movie if you've never seen it. Never heard of it, yeah. It's a fun movie from like the 80s, maybe early 90s. Um, she was also in like The Dead Don't Die and really just unbearably bad Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg movie, The Other Guys. Okay. Super terrible. Um, but Journey Smollett, our girl from Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. She played Birds of Prey. Did not love that character, though. They basically only gave her a one-shot with Black Canary's actual power. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And it's like, Black Canary's like a hardcore badass. I, I like the story with her in, the, in it, but yeah. If you're going to have Black Canary, though. Yeah, they only use like, her power once. She's but. an intense badass. I liked I liked her scenes in the club and everything like that. I just thought she had a very strong presence in the movie. I agree. I just feel like it felt like kind of a cop out to call her Black Canary mm. and then use her power one time and basically have her pass out. Yeah. Like she's a strong, intense, hardcore like anti-hero. So to have her like use her power one time and then just be like, "Oh, I can't handle the It's like, "Really?" Like, just have her be a different character. Honestly, I think one of the only comic booky movie problems the movie suffered from was that black mask. Although the actor and, and when he was not having the mask on was cool as a person. I think as a villain, not very iconic or interesting. Kind of just like, I'm a guy who runs things. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, he was supposed to be sort of like a pseudo mob boss. But whereas, um, oh my god, what's his name? His... his Sidekick Victor Sass, so Chris good. Messina. Yeah, that was so Chris good. Messina. I wanted to bring him up because I swear to God, almost everything I watch lately has like a fucking cameo of Chris Messina. He is like our generation's most iconic character actor. It is crazy how many fucking things he's in. He was in Sharp Objects as Amy mm-hmm. Adams' like love interest yep, detective. He was in, oh, what else was he in? He was in Devil, which I watched recently, which was that horror movie that takes place almost entirely in like a, like a stopped elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, also has Logan Marshall Green from The Invitation, which we just recorded. Love him. And he was in The Sinner. He was in the third season of The Sinner. Like he's just- <laughs> Also he's Mindy Project. So much. Is that him? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's like I never, I never watched that show. Oh, I liked it. Yeah, he's he's the he's like her main boyfriend. Like he's just he's in so much Charming. shit. I I yeah, I love him. I think he is really good, and I loved him as Victor Sass. Yes, like he he was really really good in that role. Very different character than I'd seen him before, but really excellent. Yeah. Yeah, he's a lot of fun, and he really leans into the role, which is exactly what you need. That's like yes. like you were saying, like you and McGregor leans into the role, but I feel like they didn't go far enough with that black mask role. Yeah. They should have made him more like, you know, like the level of intensity that you get from like Two Faced. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it should have been something like that. So there, there were definitely shortcomings. I'm still gonna see the new Suicide Squad movie that James Gunn is doing mm-hmm. because it does look like it'll be fun. It's probably not going to be very good, but I mean, I don't know. It's James Gunn. He did Guardians of the Galaxy. It could be exactly the kind of, like, injection of, like, fun meets serious that that movie needs. Yeah, I have have no idea where um, superhero movies are going, but they seem to be, we are in an experimental period. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And Suicide Squad is a lot of fun, so I hope they do a good job with it, Um, like the new one. This, (laughs) This soundtrack... In Birds of Prey was fire, though. I will say nice. that. And the costuming, I did enjoy. I the loved the, really like, good. I don't know, but the, like, overlay that they would do, where they introduce a character, and it would just be, like, splat, splat, 
and this is like what's happening. I thought it was a really good energy. Yeah, they they did that in Suicide Squad too. It didn't work as well. Oh yeah, I didn't remember. Yeah, it didn't it didn't hit me as much. Yeah, well, I think I think too because like like two or three of the Suicide Squad members literally die in the first yes. fifteen minutes immediately after being inter- introduced. So it's like this is not as entertaining. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic about the next one. Should we get down and dirty with Heather's? I don't love that, <laughs> but sure. Get down to the dirty. Okay, one thing about this movie. They had a lot of sayings. They had a lot of taglines, quotable lines. Or what are they, what are they called? Like, yeah. What are these? Just these uh, slang that we like. I, I was telling you, it's like, it feels like people would use this today. and But yet, like. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's it's great. The, the, the meme quality well, is so high. Like, well, yeah, it's the epitome of like, it's the, it's the most exaggerated, most overblown of that 80s, 90s valley girl kind of vernacular. Yeah. And because now slang is getting kind of similar to that sort of like satirical valley girl sort of thing. Like you hear a lot of people saying like rad and dope and like yeah. no cap and all of these kinds of things that like have a very similar vibe to the like surfer guy meets valley girl sort of vernacular. And it does sound similar to things like Clueless and um, Heathers. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I thought I knew the premise of the movie and totally, <laughs> I mean, in the most basic form where it was like uh, a bunch of girls get together and like people die. Like that's basically how I'd heard it. But I just assumed it was the Heathers that did it. And it's this very yeah. different storyline and the amount of allusions to things like we were talking about with the JD. And I'm trying to, because it's, it's referencing James Dean, but that wasn't his first name. It was. Yes. His name is Jason Dean. Jason Dean. And, and the thing, so the thing I love about his character in this, in this movie, it's, it makes me laugh because everybody makes references about him to like historical figures or movie figures, but nobody ever says he's like James Dean. Mm-hmm. It's all like, oh, can you leave Billy the kid alone for one <laughs> night? And like stuff like that. And you're just like, but he's he's clearly doing Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. But like the like fucking Ted Kaczynski school shooter level of James yeah. Dean and Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah, I I that was the funniest part to me. You're like 40 minutes into the movie and the first death happens and you're just like what is this movie yeah. i'm like did you you didn't know anything about this going into it well and the but it's, it's not just that it's also like i didn't understand that's where the plot was going but also that the the level of surrealness i don't think it's been i don't know anything at the time with the same vibe and especially even now no. there's things that are modernized retakes like for me like scream queens has a similar vibe and things like this but they're we're in a different era and so now scream queens feels so 100% you understand that they're going over the top with everything like it's surreal from the minute whereas heathers treads a very fine line where it sometimes feels exactly like an eight like a john hughes or a clueless yeah and then at other times you're like, this doesn't, this couldn't possibly be the case. But also, you know, it has similar vibes to Donnie Darko, the version Suicides. Like there's all sorts of things mixed into its pot. And yet it's its own thing that cannot be replaced by any of these other yeah. ones. It's it's very much its own thing. 
Yeah, it's 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 so perfectly unique in the way that it does everything. And and it is like it is overblown. It is very like meta and satirical, but somehow it manages to be this extravagant thing without feeling so over the top that it's unwatchable, which is crazy to me, you mm-hmm. know, because it is like the most aggressively 80s looking costuming, yes. like the m- most over the top action-y type things, the most over the top, like high school murder plot. And and yet it doesn't, it it doesn't feel ridiculous. It feels like it's fun and it's entertaining, but there's there's something genuine in it. Um, and I think like it's it's incredibly rare to have something so unique, so satirical, so parodying, and yet have so much like heart to it, have so much meat to it, mm-hmm. and have so much time to make like references and and metaphors to other things in life. Like it it clearly has like like it's having an interesting conversation with you about cliques about bullying yes. about teen suicide and about something that wasn't really talked about in the 80s and America hadn't experienced as much of but like the school shooter yeah so it's you're having all of these like really important conversations in this movie but it's not overwhelming it's not exhausting and it's not like making a mockery of itself it's it's so interesting to me so the murders in the movie are played off as suicides and i think it's an interesting juxtaposition because we know that you know almost every high school every high school is probably gonna have a person or two in their high school in their years who will commit suicide but the idea that someone would murder someone else is surreal and absurd and so it's interesting in the movie that the murders are covered up as suicide, and that's, of course, much more believable. But even when watching it, the fact that they do these murders feels impossible. Like, these characters couldn't have done these murders. And and that fine line is so freaky. And I, I, I can't really quite hammer the point that I want to make here, but it, it's how... The abs- there's always this sense of these murders can't be real. This is absurd. These has- It must be a metaphor for something or like something else because it can't actually be how the high school story goes. But I think it's so interesting because why do we think suicide is real and can happen all the time? Of course it actually does, but I just mean like th- they're both cases of death. Murder is death and-, and suicide is death. So why do we think that suicide can be treated so realistically and yet the idea that someone murders someone, that's when society is driven to chaos you know the bomb threat that's chaos that's surrealism and not possible but suicide we think well that's the realistic cover-up so i thought that was an interesting feeling yeah and i mean i i obviously in the movie the murders actually do happen yes but clearly the murders are meant to be like more of an allegory for like the cutthroat nature of those types of cliques mm-hmm. within high schools, the aggressive bullying that does lead people to suicide, the intense pressure that does lead students to suicide. And then the mental ill, like untreated mental illness that does lead to, you know, abuses, anger, violence, school shootings, suicides, murders, etc. So like you're having this conversation about the 
intensity and like microcosm that is the high school experience Mm -hmm. with all of these hormones with all of these like changes in your like mental health all of these pressures like with what jd christian slater's character says at the end where he's where he's saying we are society high school is society we need like we as humans need a clean slate yeah because we're the problem. We are causing these issues amongst ourselves. We're creating violence. We're creating death. So his solution is wipe it all off the planet and let nature start over again, which obviously is not the most palatable solution. And he clearly is part of the same problem that he's fighting against because he is that sort of mentally ill, abusive school shooter type. But his his metaphor there does make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think uh, Veronica, why we Nona, Winona Ryder's character is been watching a lot of Winona Earp. <laughs> I, I don't know why I, I was reading it in my mind, like how it looked, and I just couldn't hit the or right words. Johnny Depp's famous tattoo, Wino Forever, <laughs> used to say Winona Forever. So she had this. Maybe I'm get I I think I'm getting the story right and think, but she had a childhood friend, Betty, who she gave up to be with the Heathers because they made fun of Betty, uh, and it's about like social structures and whatnot. And so I think you know there is a way in which that's a standard storyline, but when you reflect back on how she she sort of tries to heal things in the end by confronting JD and then talking to the unpopular kids, of course this is all standard, but I think there's a refreshing way in which it's like it really is our friendships and our bonds and our relationships that shouldn't have to do with popularity or hierarchy bonds that we should go back to. And I think trying to say an important message again in a fresh way is what's so difficult because often I think we do know the answers to many things in life. Like when people say what really matters, it's like, of course it's relationships, it's family, it's being good to people, but it can feel so cliche to just put those things out front and put them out over and over again. And I think the movie really did make me feel a bit like how she did get stuck and she thought this solution, she didn't really think it that because she was sort of roped into it, but she was a little bit falling into it with JD and this idea of pure rebellion might be the way out. But of course that, how much does it actually help? Especially when you take it to an extreme, you still need to get back to certain fundamentals about caring about people. Well, and I think too, She falls in with JD because of the anger and the frustration she sees at what the Heathers are doing to her and other people around her. So how they treat people, the bullying, the aggression, um, the like various social tiers that they've created. So she falls in with JD as this sort of quick fix solution, but she very rapidly realizes that you take out one facet of that dichotomy, it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't, that societal structure, that systemic problem that's been created doesn't disappear. You know, cutting the head off the snake doesn't get rid of the problem. A new one just grows back Mm -hmm. in its place and you have somebody take over. The systemic problem is still there. So at the end, when she realizes like, no, she has to be the like, fix that she wants in in her little tiny high school society that's her 
moving into like her next stage of trying to fix the systemic problem instead of just trying to get revenge or trying to slap a bandaid on a on a bullet wound you know she's yep. she's fixing from within to fix the problem outside and i think that's kind of a really valuable message for for today even because because we are dealing and facing all of these systemic issues in society and we're trying to figure out a way to fix it and like of course you know you want those moments of of justice mm-hmm. splashed all over the news but that doesn't actually fix the inherent societal structure that caused that problem in the first place so you have to dig a lot deeper to be able to repair that kind of damage you know putting one guy in prison or you know murdering a heather isn't isn't going to solve the the problem the pain the anguish that you or other people are feeling yeah i think a scene that's really interesting is when she goes to a party with heather uh, the, the main heather and uh ends up you know, in a bedroom with a guy there. And the guy's like, I'm just here to get laid. The way especially John Hughes movies treat sexual assault and, like, connect to these things, it's, I during that era, it's so weird how casual that stuff is treated. And so you have this moment with her, and I'm like, I'm very scared of the movie, and I'm like, oh, God, like, it doesn't look like this is going to be treated very well. Because well, with Heather herself, she's already in, like, a sexual... <laughs> thing going on so then you get veronica with this guy and but she's just like i have a speech for you you know you don't even deserve my speech and she she books it and she gets out of that situation that night she hooks up with jd who she had just met and i think that's a really strange but in a way modern take on the whole consent issue that it isn't just that she has to be vir- virginal or chaste to yeah. escape the situation. But not to say that JD was a good option, but it was consensual and it was something yeah, that she wanted at choice. that moment. And the, the other thing too, is like, it's showing like the difference between those two characters while JD obviously is a terrible person and problematic and is problematic as far as their relationship goes later on in the film in those beginning stages, like, He's not really, like, you don't see any moments of him pressuring her. You don't no. see any moments of him being a creep. He does just go in through his through a window, and she's like, yeah, I'm glad you're here. So that was a bit much. But he didn't, he didn't even go through the window in, like, a weird sexual way. Like, he didn't go in the window expecting anything. He literally yeah. said, do you want to go play croquet? You know, like, there is something different about that than the guy at the party who's like, I just want to bang you. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be a creep. And the one thing that I do, like, you mentioned John Hughes movies and their, like, portrayal of, of sexual assault or, or lack of consent, which is very true. But, like, and the issue with a lot of John Hughes movies is that, like, sexual assault or consent are treated very casually. And in the film, when you watch it, it's treated as though that isn't problematic behavior. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's something so over the top about how they show sexual assault in Heathers that like it's instantly recognizable as problematic and nobody has to say anything about it you don't have to have a conversation you don't have to have two characters talking about how like I was just assaulted last night you see it on the screen and you were instantly like this is not right it's wrong this is gross these guys are creeps like these girls are in terrible situations 
But A, the teenage girls don't necessarily recognize that this isn't a good thing or a good way to to view sex, which I think is very true up until recently, Mm -hmm. because we're not like up until recently, we weren't having these conversations with our young girls. So I think there's something interesting about that in an 80s movie shortly after like some of the most popular John Hughes movies that happen to portray sexual assault as though it were not a negative concept. You have this movie that is basically a overblown, ridiculous John Hughes movie that's self-effacing and mocking everything like those John Hughes movies do, showing sexual assault as something like gross and uncomfortable, but also something that happens in your immediate background, something that can happen in your eyeline and often does. Mm-hmm. It has to be said that, like, the costuming in this <gasps> iconic movie outfits. is iconic, beyond iconic. Oh my god, it's clueless level, like, 80s, 90s nostalgia iconic. Yeah, like, they definitely change outfits in an absurdly, like, Pretty Little Liars level way, where it's like, I don't I understand it. how you're in another outfit already, but okay. Um, and, but, the you know, I love the signatures that even though the clothing, I don't necessarily know the 80s well enough to know when it's absurd 80s clothing versus when it's realistic 80s clothing but the monocle and stuff are really nice signifiers for that they're like okay no no no, we're showing you how absurd some of the stuff can be and i enjoyed that yeah absolutely and like just the different types of fashion that you see in it you see how the popular girls dress versus how some of the geeky girls dress Mm -hmm. versus how some of the like gothy stoner girls dress you know and like Like, I think that's really interesting. Like, even if it's a background character, they have their own kind of signature look that's very recognizable. You can tell a lot of effort was put into the costuming. Yeah. And when you think about the high school story has been done so many times, right? But certain ones stick out in our memory when we think like, like, I think of like Carrie, Mean Girls, this one, where it's like, the experience of watching that movie doesn't feel like it's replicated very well. In, in a lot of other movies that are similar. Or, um, you know, another one, another one that I actually think maybe is even more unique, but still has the same thing where I'm saying why, why Heathers occupies, even though it's in a way similar to Clueless, in a way similar to John Hughes, uh, Virgin Suicides, one, is so it can, feels unique. It reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite for, for our generation, where it was like, nothing has come out similar to it. So, I mean, things try to replicate it, but it is, its own thing that people who are into it are into that movie and no others. Like it, it, it just became its iconic thing. Except I feel, I mean, fine. I'm not going to deny Napoleon Dynamite has value or that it was popular. <laughs> of course it was. I, I hate that movie, but I understand that people like it and that it holds like a very unique place in people's like pop culture zeitgeists. But in my opinion, I would say like Heather's has a more lasting generational impact than something like Napoleon Dynamite would. Like, I just can't Mm. imagine Napoleon Dynamite had its 15 minutes of fame. And like, I other than you, I never hear anybody ever bring up that fucking movie. But Heather's like got turned into a TV show. It got turned into a musical that's been on Broadway. Like Heather's has genuinely become this like multi-generational cultural phenomenon Hmm. it's gone beyond like cult status like when i first saw it i was probably like 13 and it was definitely like not as well known to people in our age range 
Like it was much more of like that 80s, 90s staple. It wasn't something like Clueless that everybody had seen. But nowadays, like it's gone well beyond just being this cult classic. It's it's a full-blown, like reinvented phenomenon. Also, that musical has like literally fire music. It's really fucking good. I wonder if I, I can't think of any instances of people bringing up Napoleon Dynamite anymore. But at the same time, I, I, it might just be on my memory structure. But even when I saw like, uh, I was watching The Politician and, you know, there's vote for signs. And I can't not think vote for Pedro when I see something like that. Like there's just some signatures that like connect to me because that movie was just so everyone for a, a good two years talked about it constantly around me. And for me, it was not a favorite movie at the time at all. But I just saw it enough times and talked to people enough times that I was like, well, I get it. I get why this is so signature. There's so much memeable content in it. Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing about Napoleon Dynamite that I find frustrating. Like, Napoleon Dynamite literally is just, like, a hundred-minute-long meme mm -hmm. to me. Like, it doesn't feel like a movie, you know? It do it didn't do anything. It didn't, like, it, I, I can't remember it having any kind of meaningful plot, making any kind of, like, big, like or trying to have any kind of, like, cultural conversations. Like, I don't remember it doing any of that shit. It was just, like, for the lulls type of fucking movie. Mm -hmm. I remember it as, like, gifts of him dancing and vote for Pedro memes, you know? But, like, something like Heather's, I think, has, like, a genuinely really interesting message, is very self-effacing, and is... Tr like genuinely being critical of those popular teen films of the 80s from John Hughes because he dominated the 80s and that movie came out at 89 right as those like teen movies were starting to ebb off from John Hughes so have it so Heathers is still really applicable as a critique to the modern day teen film mm. the same way it was a critique of a John Hughes film and I think that's what made it so like generationally impactful and couple that with the conversation around, like, mental illness, school shooters, and suicide, you've really created something that can last generationally. And I don't think Napoleon Dynamite has, can say the same thing. You know, like, ten years down the line, I can't imagine anybody talking about Napoleon Dynamite again, except to say, like, that fucking dance or something, you know, mm. the memeable content. Whereas Heather's, I think, will probably still be applicable to teen films. I don't know. Like, you can watch Heathers and say it's a decent, like, a critique of movies like Mean Girls, you know? You can watch mm -hmm. Heathers say it's a critique of movies like Clueless, or movies like She's All That, or, like, any teen film. Well, I mean, Mean Girls, to me, is on the Heathers side. Like, it was already it's, a critique of itself. It's similar enough, but I don't think it goes as far as Heathers no, does. No, it, 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 it's in a different kind of direction, but it has the same, similar kind of structure. Of her being yeah. with the in crowd and then finding out that that's not going to work. And there's even absurdity that's, that's moments in saying. Mean Girls. Yeah, there are absurdity moments for sure. But that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the same narrative that most John Hughes movies had. Mm. Pretty in Pink had the same narrative that you're talking about in Mean Girls. Like, I never, that's one that I never saw. That's just a standard. It's about this, like, poor girl who wants to be popular and all the popular kids are rich. Mm. So she tries to get in with the popular kids. And then she realizes that, like, she's changing too much or whatever, and they need to like her for her. That's basically the whole movie. Then you have John Cryer do an amazing lip sync and dance scene in a record store. 
truly magnificent. And that's the movie. With some moderate sexual assault and drug use about midway in. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not saying there aren't interesting things, I guess, that happened in Napoleon Dynamite. I'm just saying I don't think it's going to have the, like, lasting impact that Heather's had. Like, Heather's came out in 89, it's 2020 now, and it's still genuinely applicable to cinema today. And Winona Ryder and Christian Slater will forever be fucking incredible. Well, what do you mean? They're just really great in that like, movie. in this movie, or? In general. I mean both. I loved Winona Ryder now. I loved Winona Ryder <laughs> in the 80s. I love Christian Slater now. I loved <clears throat> Christian Slater in the 80s. I was just checking if that's what you meant. I adore, like, <laughs> Winona Ryder in Stranger Things. Absolutely phenomenal. Winona Ryder in Edward Scissorhands, which came out in, like, what, 96? Mm-hmm. Still phenomenal. Yeah. That's actually an interesting one, because Stranger Things goes back to the 80s, too. And so it's an interesting, like, seeing her in both ages. I would say, like, because I've watched a lot of 80s movies, and, like, of modern-day shows and movies that are set in the 80s, I would say Stranger Things comes the closest to doing 80s fashion without going, like, over-the-top ridiculous with it. Mm. Like, most of their clothing is, like, pretty accurate to the time period. There are some, like, moments where it's a little ridiculous, but for the most part, high-waisted jeans bell bottoms cropped t-shirts mm-hmm. a lot of 16 year old girls dressing like 40 year old secretaries it's all pretty in line the thing that gets me about stranger things in particular but like anything that's setting in a different time i remember i think it's the beginning of season three of stranger things but they go to a mall and might so it might be season two i'm not sure but it's like but the idea of like how much products they had to three. make to like have a scene like that is just wild yeah. It's a weird period piece feeling uh, moment. Because um, you're like, you kind of get it when they do like a ball in like Victorian era and you're like, okay, they made all these dresses. They made the ballroom or whatever. And you're like, they, when you're like, oh, they're doing this for literal 80s, like the gap or whatever. And you're like, oh, like, yeah, yeah okay. I guess you could do that. So that's, it, it's a weird feeling. But yeah, I saw another one like that. It wasn't Stranger Things, but I was like, again, I was like, it was like 80s or whatever. Oh, it was, um... Was it the It movies? No, it was I'm not at. Oh, is it I'm not at home with this world anymore? The Elijah Wood movie. No, it wasn't the Elijah Wood one. It was um. I am not okay with. this? I am not okay with this. Yeah, oh, God, there's so many. Dad yeah. from It. Yeah. That got canceled. What got canceled? That show. I am not okay with this. Ah. Oh. I know everybody's devastated because it was like it was an this, interesting like, ending coming in the first of season. age pseudo like Carrie kind yeah. of storyline. Had a really cool vibe, and I mean, I like the I like the girl who plays Bev in it. She's good, yeah. You know, she's good and stuff. <laughs> but I think I've exhausted my Heather's opinions. Yeah, I don't think I have too much more to say about it. I mean, I love the movie. I've seen it a few times. Mm-hmm. I still like it. Blows my mind that you haven't seen it because I feel like it was on t- like cable TV when we were kids all the fucking time. Oh, really? Never knew that. Yeah, it used to play on, like, not TBS, because it was definitely, like, too inappropriate for TBS, but it used to be on in, like, the afternoons on a Sunday all the time. No, not not a single scene, like, uh, like reminded me of anything. Like, it was truly a fresh experience. So crazy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because that's a really fun movie for, like, a first-time watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I love the movie. I, I love everybody who's in it. Shannon Doherty, 
playing the ever-present bitch in everything that she's in. I don't think I've ever seen her play a nice person. I truly don't think she can. And Christian Slater is babe. Christian Slater in the 80s doing literally what his career was built on, a fucking Jack Nicholson impression. Which I loved as soon as you, I pointed that out. Mm-hmm. You were just like, I, I can't it. not. It's all I could hear. <laughs> That's literally all I did. That movie and Pump Up the Volume are both him just like 90 straight minutes of a Jack Nicholson impression. It's a whole movie. It's what his career was built off of and I love it. I do think even though the movie Heathers is unique, my feeling is there's enough, like I've watched enough movies that have some, some angle on it that it did feel like a bit of a slot in movie. Like I watched it and I like, as I was getting through, I'm like, okay, I kind of see where the rest of this is going. And like uh, the aesthetics didn't really like, even though the, there is over the top 80s fashion, like I have seen a lot of it before and all stuff. So it did feel like yeah, in the end, it. things just sort of like, yeah, I kind of knew all this would come together this way. But I think especially if you're missing a lot of the references we're saying, I think, you know, it's it's definitely up up there with all the same, you know, it's just as worthy of, of attention as Mean Girls and Donnie Darko and uh, like the John Hughes, like so many thousands of movies that there are sprinklings of. Yeah. I That's the one bummer about the first time you seeing it being now as we're like in our, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. And high school isn't nearly as relevant to us. That and, and we've just seen such a huge catalog of teen movies at this point that like, and a huge catalog of movies that either have that overblown aesthetic, like a Ryan Murphy screen Queens, the politician, or have that like set in the eighties vibe, like your stranger things that it's like, this isn't going to feel as fresh to you because you're used to that 80s kind of over-the-top aesthetic and you're used to the self-effacing teen movie. Yeah. So it's you're not getting as much newness out of it. Whereas, like, I think if you are a teenager watching, starting to get yeah. into, like, teen movies and stuff, it's you're it's going to hit different for you because you haven't run through as large of a catalog. Or if you just aren't a teen movie fan you wouldn't have run through as large of a catalog. And I think you're going to get a lot more out of it. And you're going to see as you go through the catalog, how movies like Mean Girls and Clueless were able to happen because Heathers did what it yeah. did. I think where Heathers impressed me the most, I think that the real problem, like where it didn't feel like it could hit as hard as it did was Screen Queens. Because I think that absurdity angle was the coolest part of Heathers, but Screen Queens just does it like to the, you know, to volume 11 it's it just becomes wild i don't disagree with you but i feel like if i had watched screen queens and it was a movie and not a tv show i would have fucking hated it but because it was a tv show and you're really only watching like an hour at a time it's a lot more that insanity that Mm. over the top this that shrillness is a lot more palatable and a lot more fun but if it was like a hundred straight minutes of Emma Roberts in fluffy pink screaming like a bitch at people, I would have shot myself in the face. Oh, I, I really like enjoyed it. It would have been way too much. I enjoyed it too, but like in doses, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I could watch an insane amount of it without being just physically fucking exhausted mm. by everybody with Billy Lord, who is tremendous. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. I'll watch anything for her. Um, 
That's it. Yeah. Watch Heathers if you're not a teen movie person or if you've just never seen it and you're interested. Or if you're a big Christian Slater fan like me. <laughs> yeah, he's really cool in it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our critique. Join us again next time. And you can follow us on Twitter at, at FansLabPod. DM us with your movie suggestions. Let us know what you think of the format. I'm into vinyl now, too. Tell me your music suggestions. I need music. That was a weird... I have it listed. Weird. And I was like, but I didn't feel the time. But now I'm like, yeah. I've been asking all my friends for music suggestions. So. Yeah. You're my friends now. Send your music suggestions to the podcast. (laughs) Joseph is really into indie rock right now and is a little stuck. Bye. Bye.